Hello and welcome to the Post to Post podcast for this 18th of June 2017. I am your host Jason and today we're doing something a little different. I am joined live over the internet from Prince Edward Island with Neil. Yes, over the airwaves. And with Brent. How are you doing? We've had a, a lot of uh, feedback, Neil, asking for Brent to be back on the podcast, so this uh, situation this weekend worked out perfectly for that. Yeah, we had to make it happen. I I'm kind of went on a little road trip from Fredericton to Prince Edward Island in the process of moving. I had to move over a few stuff. Uh, and yeah, we thought, you know, why, while, while I'm here... Yeah, maybe we should uh, record a podcast in house. It's been a very busy week. There's been, you know, the playoffs have ended. There's been new coach hirings. We got an expansion uh, team coming up. So let's just jump right in to the end of the playoffs. Um, let's get your thought, guys' thoughts real quickly on on Pittsburgh winning that series. I know there's been videos on YouTube about it already, but uh, just in case there's podcast listeners that don't that don't watch the YouTube videos, let's just give your guys uh, the quick thoughts on that series. Yeah, sure. I mean, I was, you know, a part of me was, well, I could say most of me was disappointed because I like a good story and Nashville was a good story. They were the underdog. They were the Cinderella team. I mean, you could have made a movie about their run to the finals and I really, really wanted them to win. And unfortunately it didn't happen. Pittsburgh won again, two years in a row. Probably the the thing I hate worst in hockey or most in hockey is when a team wins the Stanley Cup two years in a row or two times in three years, or I love to see new teams win the cup. I think it's amazing. And uh, so I was disappointed, but however, I was happy for a few of the players on the Pittsburgh organization, mainly Hainsey, you know, it's his first year in the playoffs in his, in his career. So the fact that he won the Stanley cup in his first uh, playoff appearance is pretty great for him. Uh, I was happy for Schultz. And uh, even though Murray, it, this was his technically, technically his rookie year, he has two cups now. That's quite an amazing accomplishment. Yeah, I was uh, cheering for Nashville as well. But, you know, when you when I watched Game 6 and I watched all of it, uh, I think it worked out the way it should have worked out. Other than the weirdo goal that was called back. Yes, That might have changed things a bit. But really, for, over, for the overall, the best team who played that game won that game. Uh, Nashville didn't put it together, and Pittsburgh did, and they ended up hoisting the cup over their head uh, before having to go all the way back home to do it in Game 7. Um, disappointed, but uh, I'm at peace with it. Uh, Pittsburgh is a very, very good hockey team, and they've put together... Uh, I'm not like I'm not as uh, far over as Neil in the extreme of not having repeat winners. I think in this day and age, repeat winners are actually rare. It's It's hard to repeat. And any team that does, uh, I think, demonstrates a considerable amount of talent and, and effort and work ethic. And uh, Pittsburgh did that. Um, you know, there were, I, I have some comments I think I'll make at some point on the officiating, you know, down the road some other day. But, uh, uh, and, and how we do replays and how, you know, the extent to which technology has basically buggered up uh, some of the natural flow of the hockey game. But uh, I'm okay with the fact Pittsburgh won. And, and I, I'm like Neil, I feel good for Colin. I feel good for uh, Hainsey, especially, because yeah. he was Montreal property all <laughs> those years ago. And it's nice to see another former Canadian uh, player uh, get uh, get to hoist the Stanley Cup. I, I love the Gensel story. I can't get over that enough. Uh, he, that's a great story, and he's going to be a great player and a lot of fun to watch. So I'm okay with it. The like the Pittsburgh Penguins, you obviously have to give a lot of credit to their, their front-end management uh, staff because setting up mini dynasties in the salary cap era – you know, this is this is the first team that's that's won two in a row since the cap came in. So, 
you know, it's it's a it's an astounding feat to be able to pull that off in the salary cap era. But do you think this team is weaker as a Stanley Cup championship team compared to teams of maybe like 20 years ago or 15 years ago, you know, before the cap, like when you had uh, Jagger and Lemieux playing on the same team or when you had Gretzky and, Le- and Messier playing on the same team? Do you think this is a, a, a more inferior team compared to the teams of the past? I don't really know how to explain it other than that. They basically said like this, this Pittsburgh team, if they were to go back in time and play some of the star studded teams that won cups back in the day, that they wouldn't stand a chance. And I just wonder what you guys think about that. Yeah, I, I think you, I, it definitely makes sense. I mean, if we think back to the 97, 98 year when the, the last team to win two in a row, the Detroit Red Wings, it's often joked that they bought those Stanley cups because they went out and they got all these amazing players and, and went on a run and, and yeah, basically bought the cups and I don't know if, if it's I don't know if you can really make the comparison, but just in 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 fun funville, it would be interesting to see the Pittsburgh Penguins of today play the Detroit Red Wings of the late nineties. Yeah, it's hard to make a generational comparison like that. So many other things in the game have changed as well. The the way the game is officiated, the rules, uh, you know, the the clutching and grabbing and, and freezing the puck and throwing it over the glass, all that stuff that went on back then. Um, you know, if those teams back then weren't allowed to do that to get some relief from a, a long shift, uh, like they can't do it these days, uh, how well would they fare back then, actually? So, you know, it, it cuts both ways. I think a Crosby-Malkin uh, combo is probably powerful, like a Gretzky-Messier combo would be, although we're dealing a slightly different level there, especially in the second guy. But um, I think it's hard to do. I think it's very hard to do. I don't like the cap, uh, and I, I guess because I like a big market team that would have unlimited money if it wanted to buy a Stanley Cup, it could do it, the team I cheer for. But, <laughs> you know, the Rangers tried it for a long time, even before the cap came in, and they couldn't do it. Uh, you know, well, they did it in 94, but, you know, the Rangers and the Yankees, and it's kind of the New York way. You know, don't draft your way in and, and build your team. Yeah. Buy it. Yeah, and they still kind of do that today, even in the cap era. I mean, they're always going out and buying someone at the trade deadline, and yeah, yeah, and getting these rental players with only two or three months left to play on a on a contract. They did it with Yandel a couple years ago. Yeah, Uh, St. Louis. They went and got him. I mean, it was a trade, but they tried to get Shattenkirk this year. Yeah, it's just what they do. It it is what they do. It's how they roll. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So when you look at these two teams, Pittsburgh and Nashville. What do, what do both of them have to do for next year to try to get back to this spot? Or if you're not in Nashville's case, you want to, you know, take that last step to win the cup. Uh, oof. Yeah. I, I think in Pittsburgh's situation, they have a lot of roster moves to, or a lot of roster decisions to make. There's going to be guys that need to move out like Flurry, So Pittsburgh's going to have to get a solid backup uh, to Murray. And then there's some other changes as well. I think Pittsburgh it's actually probably going to be pretty fine because they have so much young talent uh, down in, in scranton Wilkesbury. I think they'll be okay. I think they'll be still be very, very, very competitive next year. And on Nashville's side, I think the only... It's kind of like in the Edmonton situation. I think the only thing that they were missing was experience. And this year, that, that's... You know, they got so much experience that they'll be good for the next couple of years. And they've got lots of young talent coming up as well. So I think uh, Nashville and Pittsburgh are both going to be very competitive next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a good thing that they're in different conferences. It is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because uh, they, they will dominate, I think. Uh, yeah. Pittsburgh has enough, you know. Pittsburgh's starting to get a little older. 
Yeah. You know, let's say Latang comes back and he's healthy after all of his uh, medical issues are resolved over the summer. Crosby's not a child anymore. He's not Sid the kid. He's Sid the man, and yeah. pretty soon Sid the older man. <laughs> um, so I think, you know, Pittsburgh maybe only has a year or two left of the ability to, to be dominant in the regular season, uh, and they're so injury dependent as well. Yes. You know? Now they saw, you know, they obviously survived through the playoffs and won the cup without Latang, but I think if that was Crosby instead, uh, I think it'd be a, a big difference. I agree. Yeah. Although, you know, in the past when Crosby has been out for long periods of time, like when he was out with a high ankle sprain a couple of years ago, the rest of the team stepped up. Well, Malkin's statistics when Crosby is out of the lineup are through the roof. Yeah. So I don't understand it, but, you know, good on him. Yeah, that's true. Now, Nashville, uh, younger, full of energy, and they've had, they saw the cup. They saw it with their own eyes, hoisted in their own rink. Yep. That will be a tremendous motivating factor for next year. I agree. Speaking of the conferences real quick, um, last podcast we had, Justin mentioned that he'd like to see divisions be used as a way to you know, d- determine the schedule during the regular season, but not have a bearing in the matchups for the the playoffs. So I guess it's just it's straight one through eight instead of the way they are now. And I think all three of us that were on that podcast agreed we'd like to see that. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, Brent? Do you like the divisions, or would you rather it be straight one through eight as well? I like one through eight, and I think really even with divisions, it usually works out close. I think in the West, I think it worked out one through eight anyway, if I'm not mistaken, or very close to it. In the East, it was weird because you had you know, Montreal only one point ahead of the Rangers, I think, um, and the Rangers ended up being in a wild card that... Uh, it ended up working well for the Rangers, certainly in the first round, but I don't, I don't like that at all. I think the teams who do better should have a better advantage. They should play the eighth ranked team. Now, anyone who played the eighth ranked team in the West would have been up against Nashville and lost all the way to the Stanley Cup final. So, um, I don't, I don't, I don't like either system, frankly. Um, you know what I'd like to see? And this is slightly off topic and I apologize, but look at the National Football League. You have the NFC. And you have the AFC. And in Major League Baseball, you have the National League and the American League. And both halves of the NFL and both halves of baseball actually have a cross-continent geographical distribution. So you have the Mets and the Yankees, let's say. They're both in the same town, but they play in different leagues. But it's still possible for them to meet in the World Series where they both to be their league champions. I'd like to see the NHL. There's so many teams now in the NHL. They could have... Uh, a national conference and an American conference. Maybe Toronto and Montreal would be in different conferences. And you'd still have an East and a West division, but they'd only be half the size they are now. And you'd play most of the games, maybe with a few interleague, inter-squad kind of games, uh, you know, within your conference. And then you'd play the other guys less until it came time to play them in the finals. I, like, I, I like that idea because that, that way you're not concentrating your teams, and you probably have more flexibility with other things like expansion. But that's obviously not going to happen because Gary Bettman, God, Lord Bettman, doesn't want it that way. Yeah, we, we filmed a video <laughs> earlier about, well, we, not about, but we mentioned relegation. Yeah. And that's an interesting system because they use that in Europe where if you're the bottom-seeded team, say hypothetically in the, in the NHL, then you'd have to compete against the top-seeded team in the AHL and the winner of that four-team tournament, I think you said, would advance to either or stay in the NHL or advance to the NHL. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that would never work 
in, in, in the market of the NHL and the AHL, but it's an interesting system and I like it. I like it a lot. And that's how the British Premier League works in soccer as well. Yeah. They have a whole bunch of leagues and the Swedish Hockey League, they have a whole bunch of leagues. They have the Elite League at the very top and then they have another league that's just bubbling underneath. And then they have two or three levels below that even. And a team can actually work its way from league to league to league. And if they keep doing well, they advance and they start at the bottom and they work their way to the top. And, you know, a, a small town with 5,000, a 5,000-seat 5, arena can end up being in this huge league. And they may only last a year before they're dropped out again. But uh, I think that broadens the appeal of the game. And, you know, wouldn't it be great, for instance, if the uh, Everett Silvertips or, you know, whatever <laughs> could uh, compete in the next level higher were they to do well in their league? Yeah, well, I mean, if we saw the Toronto Marlies move up from the AHL to the NHL, yeah. and the Marlies and the Maple Leafs in the same league in the <laughs> NHL, that would be very interesting. Yeah, now it's a little weird there because the Leafs actually own the Marlies. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but, you know, in the case of, let's say, uh, well, I don't know, the way the AHL is structured now, even that's weird because the NHL teams essentially either own or have formal relationships with yeah. those AHL teams. So yeah. it, it kind of works a little oddly, and that would have to change as well. The AHL teams would basically have to be standalone teams. Yes, yes. And the NHL teams uh, might f uh, have junior teams that they would fund that would be in different leagues. Yeah. Um, yeah, it would, it would completely blow the whole thing up. It would be so up. complicated. To maybe in 100 this. years it'll be blown up and someone will do yeah, that. Yeah, maybe. But I really like the way that other other sports and other leagues around the world are arranging their team structures and league structures and scheduling to make it possible to have, uh, well, even multiple championships. So you look at, uh, in England and, and when they play soccer, what we call soccer, there's the UEFA League, uh, there's the, you know, the Champions League, there's the, and one team, let's say Liverpool, can play in the UEFA Championship. They can also play in the FA Cup mm. and they can play in their own league. And those games actually are all mixed in with the schedule. And they all mean something. Interesting. You know, yeah, it's 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 novel. I wonder if that's something that that's been in for a long time, or if that's something that's you know within the modern era has been added. Because I can't see any teams, you know, ownership of teams. I mean, being in those leagues, saying that yeah, we we'll sign up for this. You know, having a chance for our franchise to be able to be knocked down a league and <laughs> you know have a chance to generate less revenue and stuff like that. I mm -hmm. could never see NHL teams going for something like that. No. Not to mention I don't think there's enough of the of a player base in the North American continent for something like that, but it would be great to see. It would. It would. And uh you know, I, nobody will agree to it. There's not one NHL team that would release that monopoly that mm -hmm. they currently have. There's no way. Uh so it wouldn't be done voluntarily. Um now, there in the states there's there's anti-combine legislation where you cannot have a monopoly in the United States. AT&T had to be broken into a bunch of different companies 20 or 30 years ago because it had so much of the telephone business in the United States that it was too big to legally exist. So the federal government made them break up. Now, could you make the same argument for the National Hockey League having a monopoly on the premier uh, play of hockey? Maybe. Maybe someone should try to take a whack at it that way, but it won't be voluntary. So this week we have the Vegas expansion happening. It's going to be announced at the NHL Awards on the 21st, I believe. So I'm just going to give a timeline real quick for people who aren't aware of, of what things are going on. And, and we're actually recording this podcast early. We normally do it on a Saturday and then release Sunday. We're actually doing this on a Friday. So today on Friday, um, 
all the player waivers and budgets by teams had to be in by by lunchtime today at 12 o'clock. After that, players can't be waived. They can't be bought out. Uh, players who have been asked to waive a no-movement clause, uh, they had to answer today by 5 o'clock, which was just a couple hours ago for us. Uh, tomorrow on Saturday, which is the 16th of June, uh, three o'clock in the afternoon is when the waiver train training or trading and signing freeze goes into effect. So no players can be moved after three o'clock. Uh, no team except for Vegas can add a player to their team, sign an extension, place a player on waivers or make a trade, uh, until eight o'clock on the Thursday, June 22nd, which is after the announcement for the, uh, NHL awards. Um, and each team must submit their protected player list by again, five o'clock tomorrow on Saturday. Sorry. Uh, Vegas has until June 21st at 10 o'clock in the morning to look over the list and sign their players. Uh, the results will be revealed, as I said, during the NHL Awards, uh, and that starts at 8 o'clock Eastern on the 21st. And the GMs have also been issued gag orders by Bill Daly that they're not allowed to leak any trades or you know information to the media before the June 21st because they want it to be a big surprise and they want people to tune into this uh, NHL Awards. So uh, what are your guys' predictions of who do you think's, who do you think's moving? Who do you think's going where? Oh, there's mm. there's so many things that could happen. I think there's some behind the door deals and agreements kind of maybe taking place that we don't know about. So someone like Flurry, who's expected to go, and I assume is going because he was asked to waive his no trade clause, there could be some kind of discussion that keeps him in Pittsburgh in exchange for something else. Like, is that even allowed? I don't. I assume it is, but that's uh, the strangest darn thing. I it, I don't like. The yeah. last expansion, I was so well, I wasn't young, but I just didn't care enough in the business portion of of the process, and so this is the first time I've experienced it, and I'm sure it is different now than it was then. So it's it's so interesting to go through this and and see how this plays out. It's a it's an exciting time for a hockey fan. Yeah. Now, Jason, is the protected list also under lock until the twenty first? Like to the public or to just you can't change your protected list? Uh, just to the public to even know who's on it. They are going to be releasing who's on the protected list. So they're not allowed to say if they asked a player to waive their no-wave clause. Like we know Dion Phaneuf was asked yep. to waive his. Right. But the coaches and GMs do not have to announce that publicly. But, you know, as a side effect, we're going to know whether players have been asked or if they did based on the list of protected players. If if we see someone that has a no trade clause and they're not on that list. So we'll get to see the list of protected players days in advance of the actual picking by Las Vegas. We should. Yeah. Yeah. OK. And that gives a lot of that gives a lot of time in between for us to kind of, you know, play the game of who maybe this guy will go or maybe this guy will go. And the people will be running those expansion simulator things like crazy, I think. Yeah, I'm going to have to do a mock draft, I think. I haven't done that yet, so. Yeah. But until the lists are, are out, there's really not much point. No, I guess not. Because yeah, yeah. there are players that will not be protected on and publicly. You'll see that they are not protected. Yeah. But there's a deal behind the door that they know <laughs> they're right. not getting picked. Exactly. You yeah. know, and it's already the fix is in that, you know, Vegas has agreed to not touch them and, and you know, all that. So we still don't know. We still won't know. No. Yeah. We don't know anything. <laughs> I'm, it's going to be curious to see if something actually leaks. I'm in the opinion that it will, and I hope I hope that opinion's right because I like juicy gossip. So, yeah, I hope something leaks and we find something out that we're not supposed to find out. What are your guys' thoughts on on GMs asking their players to waive no-trade clauses? Like, like Dion Phaneuf was asked, just to reference him, to, to waive his, and 
and it kind of puts him in a, in a hard spot in a way, because, you know, if he doesn't, then it looks, you know, the fans are saying, you know, do it for the team. You know, no one's going to take your contract. You're, you're getting paid X amount of dollars and we need to protect our young guys. But in a way he's kind of earned that no trade movement. That, that was part of the contract he signed. That's right. You know, it's, it's in writing saying you can't move me. And some people were saying that it's not fair for a player to be put in this kind of a spot and that the NHL should make it so that, you know, contracts are enforced fully and that GMs shouldn't be able to ask players to waive their no clauses because they can't renegotiate their salary after they sign it. So no trade should be the same thing along with everything else in their contract. I'm just wondering how you guys feel about that. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, you know, not being able to renegotiate the, sa- the, the, the uh, price or the salary, but you can renegotiate the clause or the, you know, that's that's interesting. I'm I was okay with it, but now thinking about it like that, I think it should be enforced. I don't think you should be able to to waive it or be put in that position. Some players will will take less money, but put in that no trade because you know to them there is value in that no trade clause. So they're taking a little bit physical or less physical cash, you know, and then having the ease of mind that knows they control their future. And now in in a situation like this, they're just you know being put on the spot, being asked in front of you know the world because it was leaked publicly that they asked him. It's it's kind of puts that player in a rough spot, I think, and I I don't really think that's necessarily fair to that player. I agree. Yeah, I mean, if Mark, I don't know if Mark Andre Fleury has kids, but if he did, and maybe that's one of the reasons why he wanted a no trade clause because he wants to be in a one spot for a long period of time, and now they're putting him in a tough spot and asking him to waive his no trade clause, and if he gets picked by Vegas, then he has to uproot his entire family and go to Vegas, when that was part of his contract to the security of being in one spot. And, you know, if the no-trade clause is a clause in a contract. It, it shouldn't have meaning. It should have value. Um, now, all that being said, obviously a no-trade clause is in there because the player wanted it in there, and it's the player who gets the benefit of that particular clause. I wouldn't want it to be so extreme that a player couldn't voluntarily waive that if the player thought it was in his best interest to do so. But there, could, but there could be something in the contract that says the the GM or the coach or the ownership is not allowed to go to the player and request that maybe just the player can go to them and say that I'm open to to you know waiving this clause. Yeah, so I don't know how you keep that in the bottle actually, because let's say the GM is not allowed to ask the player, but maybe there's secret code saying, well, if the, if the GM puts a flower pot out on his balcony <laughs> with a yellow daisy in it, then. Uh, <laughs> That's the secret signal that the player can voluntarily decide whether to waive his no trade. So I don't think he can. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think he can police it. But it does open up the contract, and I think maybe um, you know if if a request is made of the player and it's made in the open, then maybe that comes with some sort of compensation. You know that the player gets an, an additional benefit even if they don't waive it. Mm. I, I don't know. I, I you know t- to me a no, a no trade clause, you know. I guess I like it because it prevents a team from moving a player against their will. Uh, but uh, at some point, the player may change their mind too, you know, and you get these long seven, eight-year maximum contracts. If there's a no-trade boxed into that as well, that can basically destroy a team if oh, they're yeah. stuck with someone they don't want at a high salary for a long period of time. So I don't know. Like, we know that the NHL does not want no-trade clauses. Like, they... I think there's reports out there that says Bill Daly and and the commissioner both went out, you know, years ago, you know, saying that do not sign players to no trade clauses because, you know, when expansion time comes, that's when 
you know, the pain of it happens. And so it's, it's purely in there from a player's perspective and, and a PA's perspective of giving more power mm-hmm. to uh, the players instead of, you know, maybe offsetting some of that, you know, financial incentive, I guess. Yeah. I'm not usually in the position of agreeing with the NHL, but in this situation I am. I would I would prefer to see no no trade clauses in any contracts. Yeah. I like for teams to be able to trade people freely and as much as they want, uh, as mean as that sounds towards the players. Yep. I'd be okay with that. Uh, the you know, the the players are the property of the teams that they work for. And it's like a transfer. You know, if you if you need to be transferred, you have to be transferred. And um, really, the National Hockey League is one gigantic organization with a bunch of member agencies in it. Oh yeah, and uh, you're still working for the NHL, buddy. Uh, mm-hmm. No matter where you go, it's a business, and it is a business. And you know, I find it a little hard to feel sorry for someone who's making four, five, yeah. six million dollars a year. Oh, I don't want to go to Phoenix mm. or Arizona. You know, well, guess what? Guess what? You're going. You're going, and you're going to be well paid to go. Yeah, you're going to take your four million dollars with you. Yeah, you're going to have a smile on your face. Yeah, yeah. And you got, you know, if you can afford a couple of extra boxes of Kleenex, go for it. <laughs> yeah. So we also seen something this week that's that's pretty rare. We've seen basically a player be traded for another player, and you guys both put a video about this out a couple of days ago. But just for the uh, the podcast audience, why don't you give your guys thoughts on the uh, Jonathan Druin and Sergachev trade? Mm-hmm. I was shocked. Uh, I didn't. I always felt maybe Bergevin had his eye on Drouin as soon as the drama down there started with him, but I never thought he'd be able to pull it off. And it's interesting that he wouldn't give up Sergachev for Duchesne, who probably has a similar play style as Drouin, but he'd give it up for Drouin. So obviously, maybe age had something to do with it. Um, but I, as a Canadians fan, I do like it. And even as an unbiased opinion, I think it's, I think it's beneficial towards both teams. I think it was a fair trade. Sergachev is going to be great for the Tampa Bay Lightning in a couple of years once he breaks into the NHL. Uh, Tampa Bay's future looks looks great with him on the blue line, and Montreal got what they needed. They needed uh, scoring badly up front, short term, and it's a long term solution too because Duran is twenty two. So I, I like a trade. Yeah. Yep, he's uh, signed to a six-year contract later on the day of the trade, and he'll be around until he's the ripe old age of 28 at least. So, (laughs) you know, we're going to have him, we, being a Montreal Canadiens fan base, is going to have him for the next six years as he is growing through his 20s and maturing even further. Um, I, I, as I said in the the, uh, video uh, when I did that with Neil the other day, I get nervous when Montreal gives away young, excellent prospect defensemen because many times they've worked out to be great for the team that they end up with, and we ended up with a bag of pucks. Uh, I don't think that's happened this time. I think Neil's right. I think this trade is good for both teams. Uh, Bergevin wants to go now. Uh, he wasn't waiting, you know, to for Sergachev to mature and become the kind of uh, rock-steady defenseman that uh, the Canadians are going to need down the road when Markov is gone. And, and uh, you know, uh, I think he just wasn't willing to wait. And I think he realizes that there's a lot of impatience in Montreal. We have Carey Price, who's uh, basically 
through now the first half of his career, and he still hasn't won a cup. And we know that he's good enough to win a cup if they would just put a decent team in front of him. And that's the job now. And I think I think uh, Drouin is part of that picture. Yeah, I think it's step one. I don't think they're done anytime soon. I think Mark Bergevin is going to be very busy in the offseason. Yep. Do you think they knew, or do you think they talked to Drouin before they signed him? Like they, they got a reassurance that he would sign with the team? Or do you think that was done after? Because it, it seemed to happen, you know, 1A and 1B. I don't know. if Are they allowed to talk to Drouin before? I assume that they... I think they can if they request the permission from the team. Yeah. I think so. And I think that... Because he lives just north, just northwest of Montreal. He would have been home for the summer. He would have been around. Uh, there's access to him and his agent, uh, Alan Walsh. I think they must have had permission. And some of the tweets I read and some of the talk I listened to said that this was in the works for a while. It wasn't just a sudden, you know, pick oh. up the phone and bang. So interesting. Yeah. Okay. So I actually want to talk a little bit about the, uh, the NHL broadcast in Canada. So for our American listeners, this, this might not be that interesting and I won't talk about it real long, but I just wanted to, to talk about that for those people that are in Canada, cause it is a little bit interesting. So, uh, uh, over the 2017 playoffs here in Canada on Sportsnet and CBC, the average viewers per game were around 1.6 billion people. And that's 94% higher than last year. So they basically doubled their viewership in one year. And I, and I think, I don't know if you guys agree, but you probably agree that it's because there was Canadian teams in the playoffs this year. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. And it, it, it definitely helped that Ottawa went to the conference finals and was the final four team. And it, and actually game seven of Pittsburgh, Ottawa was the most watched, single most watched game of the playoffs. And it averaged about 4.9 or 4.29 million people at any given minute during that game. In Canada. In Canada. So that... You know that's a really good number and, wow. and a number that Rogers is very happy with. Um, the the average playoff games, uh, the Stanley Cup final game, sorry, averaged about two point six seven million, which is about twenty twenty percent higher than last year. So even though Pittsburgh was still playing a team, it was you know twenty percent more Canadians were watching it this year than last. Hmm. And uh, Scott Moore, who is the president of Sportsnet, he predicts the advertising rates will increase next year by forty to fifty percent because he thinks the Canadian team's success will have staying power. So basically, if you want to advertise a commercial or, you know, what, however other mediums they have through Sportsnet, it's going to cost you about 50% more next year than it did this year, which I find really interesting. Well, I hope that makes it too expensive for Chevrolet, because I was so sick <laughs> of seeing Chevrolet ads <laughs> in these last playoffs. I don't think I can ever... Buy a Chevrolet. I can say with confidence, I will never give Chevrolet my business in the next Those 10 years. Those were the ter- most terrible ads, and they were total saturation. They were everywhere. Neil and I, I think we actually talked about it in either a video or a podcast, I think, where we were talking about the guy with the beard who says, you know, initial quality. Yeah. And initial quality is such a, a dumb thing. It's it's how well the product works in the first 90 days, and then the metric stops. Yeah. And yeah. They don't have any, they don't have any awards for lasting quality, so basically... That that I don't know why they would use that stat. It yeah. just says here, if you buy our products, you're going to like it for three months. Down the road doesn't really matter. Like I don't know. I, <laughs> I just, it just seems like a foolish thing to do. If someone actually takes the time to think about the commercial, it's mm-hmm. just like, oh wait a minute. Yeah. Oh, they were awful. And the last point, the last point I wanted to make about the the viewership in Canada is that 37 percent of all viewers in Canada are watching on a phone or tablet. Wow. That blows my mind. Wow. And last year it was 23%, so it's actually gone up by quite a bit. So over over a third of everyone in Canada who is watching hockey 
does it from a little device in front of their face. That seems so strange to me. I've never watched hockey or really anything live on my phone or tablet or even my computer. And and we've talked about this before, you know, based on the podcast numbers and and even the YouTube numbers were, you know, Neil and I aren't old. We're, we're in our thirties, like low Mm thirties. So we're, we're, I wouldn't consider us, you know, too old for that tech generation, but both of us, when we see these kind of numbers, I think we're just blown away. Yeah, definitely. The only people that should be watching hockey on an iPad is the linesman and they should be watching it a little closer. <laughs> yeah, I, I I can't even relate to that. I I have difficulty, uh, you know, I, I just got to the point in my life in the last few years where I could afford a nice HD widescreen television, 16 by 9 aspect ratio, and I sit, you know, back in my room and I watch this big screen and I think I've made it, you know. I, here I am watching hockey in absolute clarity, uh, just like I always wanted. And just when I get to that, Looks like a lot of people are going to a smaller screen. So yeah. good luck to you, but I'm not going there. And it's 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 very confusing to me because you know cell phone plans in Canada are not cheap, and the data caps aren't high. So I don't know how people are going out there with their two and three or one gigabyte data plans, and then sitting down and watching an NHL game for a couple hours a night. Like I don't mm-hmm. like you see the commercials where they're out the lake, they're out the camp, they're you know, wherever, out in public, and they're just sitting there watching the game. I, I don't know how, like in Canada, because 37% of people in Canada are watching on their phones. I don't know how that's a thing. Like, what kind of plans are people on? Yeah. Well, I think in, in some cases, like, if you're on a Rogers device and Rogers owns the hockey game, I think it has been the practice. And, you know, I think Bell does the same thing, like Bell Game Center, or not Game Center, but Bell has a... A, a program where if you're watching on their network, you can watch some of the channels that they own where the bandwidth doesn't come off your, your, your data. Ah, yes. They used to do that. And then that went to court and they were, exactly. were sued. They're not allowed to do that. So that ended a couple of years ago. Exactly. Actually. And there's been actually some recent uh, rulings by the CRTC that's even broadens that prohibition from uh, showing preference to your own own properties at the exclusion of others. That's right. That brings in the whole net neutrality argument that's going on right now. Exactly. Exactly. So that may have been some of it in the past. I don't know how. I couldn't. I, I couldn't afford it. I have a 500 giga or 500 megabyte per month plan with my provider, and I usually get close to it. Uh, and that's just casual being around town, checking my email, reading Twitter. Uh, usually I'm around four to 500 megabytes after a month. I can't imagine if I used my phone away from my own home network to watch live video. Yeah. I I, I can't. I can't imagine doing that. Mm-hmm. Not in Canada. No. The same report that I got these numbers from actually are predicting that by next year, uh, more than 20, 20% of Canadians are not going to have some sort of cable or, or fiber TV service in their home. They're only going to have internet. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if that's part of the reason why could be. People, these numbers are up is because there's just a lot of cord cutters and they're just just straight up getting internet packages. Yeah, that's very possible. Could be. Uh, and I think the only reason I haven't cut the cord is because of live sports and to a slightly lesser extent, live news. As far as package programming, series, things like that, I'm done. Other than sports and news, like if I can't, if I could get my NASCAR and my hockey live with decent quality over the internet at a decent price, I'd be gone. I already have significantly reduced the amount of TV that I have. Yeah. I've gone to a different provider with a much smaller package, but I still have to have my live sports. I, I don't know how I'm going to get around that. 
in a way that I can trust. My internet provider's good, but I don't know if I want to put all my eggs in that basket right now. Because if I had an internet hiccup uh, halfway through Game 7, I think I would be pretty upset with myself. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have a question that requires us to backtrack a little bit. Jason, you mentioned uh, the viewership for the the Game 7 against Ottawa and Pittsburgh was... Four point something. Four point two nine million. I, I want to do the math on that, so I just did it on my phone, and it was twelve percent of the population of Canada was watching that game, and it made me think about the Super Bowl in the United States. So I looked it up on my phone, and the the U.S. viewership of the Super Bowl last year or this year, sorry, earlier this year was thirty one percent of Americans were watching the Super Bowl. I would be curious to know what you guys think would happen. If there were two Canadian teams playing against each other in the Stanley Cup Finals, do you think the percentage would go from 12% maybe up to that 30% range? I think the 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 closest distinction you can make is just just look at how the Blue Jays do when when they're doing well. Like it, it, the further they went in their, you know, push for the World Series, the viewership just kept going up and up and up. I think there was one night where they hit 8 million people, which is staggeringly high. So if you've seen, even if even if Toronto went in for a Stanley Cup final push, I think you would you would easily see those numbers, if not more. Hmm. Yeah, and maybe the Olympics would be a good example as well. I know the viewership for the Canadian gold medal game was through the roof. Yeah, I think if it's a Canadian team versus an American team, the country I think can be more cohesively behind the Canadian team, and if they're watching it all the way into the finals, are probably engaged with that. If it's a Canadian team against a Canadian team, though, let's say it's Ottawa against Calgary. Well, if you're not hitting in the Montreal market and the Toronto market, I don't know if your numbers are going to be crazy high. I think it'll still be Ottawa against Calgary. And the other Canadian viewers, you know, will watch that just as they probably already watched the 2017 final. So, hmm. you know, I think it depends on the market that you're, we're dealing with here. Uh, if it's Montreal or Toronto versus Edmonton, I think you've got a real, a big number there. I think the, if the first time it happens when we have two Canadian teams... Uh, play against each other. Say it happens next year. I think the viewership would be through the roof because it would be the first time in 24, 25 since years. Since 1989. Since 93, since the Canadian team won the Stanley Cup. Yeah, but... Oh, yeah, but, but yeah, Canadian no, versus but, Canadian team. But the viewership would, would be way up where if it happened the year after, I don't think the viewership would be up mm -hmm. as much because Canada technically... I mean, the Cup came home to came home to Canada yeah. the, the year prior. So. Right. But in 1989, we had Montreal versus Calgary. Right, that was the last time two Canadian teams. Played. Exactly, and that must have been a disaster for whatever American broadcast was going on at the time. Probably not much. Yeah. Probably it was on ESPN or <laughs> Nesson or something. But uh, now, you know, I thought NBC did a great job this, this time around of keeping the finals, and the playoffs generally, but especially the finals, on their main network. I think of the six games that they played, four, at least four of them were on the main NBC network and not over on the sports network side. Yeah which I thought was great. I think it was only the first two in Pittsburgh that weren't. Yeah. The last four were. Yeah. And that's that's really something because, you know, this is a time of year what, you know, obviously the rating period is over. The, the regular NBC evening weeknight fair is done with as far as ratings go. So they can insert other things. But for them to take their regular stuff off the table and throw hockey on there, uh, for a nationwide audience on the main network, I, I think that's a big step. I think that says a lot about the growth of the game. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't. If you twenty five years ago, if you had said that Nashville is going to get a team, and 
do what they did this year with the crowd behind them and a lot of the country and a lot of a lot of Canada, <laughs> I would have said you're crazy. If you said to me 30 years ago that uh, on a, on a Tuesday night in June of 2017, uh, the United States on a main network are going to be tuned to watch an NHL team from Nashville in the finals. I would have asked you what you're smoking. <laughs> I'm going to ask you guys a question that may not be fair because this is actually something I never thought about, but I, I seen this a couple days ago. And um, do you guys think that the younger generation aren't watching as much sports as previous generations? And, and what I mean by that is um, there's a, there was a, a poll released with some, some numbers out and, the average age of someone watching the NHL in the year 2000 was 33. And then that same poll was redone last year and it was up to 49. So the average hockey fan is 49 years old as of last year. And in all sports, it's it's going up. Like uh, in baseball, it went from 52 in 2000 to 57. So that's an older uh, demographic. Uh, the UFC started at 34. Now it's 49. Uh the the NFL's gone up by a few years. The only one that seems to be holding steady is the NBA, where it was the average age was forty in two thousand, and it's forty two in twenty sixteen. So, do you think the newer generations just they're just not tuned into TV as much? Well, there's so many other things to do. I mean, kids play video games now. Not that, I mean, we're still kids. We play video games, but younger kids really play video games, and they not only play video games. They watch people play video games on Twitch. <laughs> that's and, true. And, and Jason, I know you do that, so I'm not going to make fun of like you that's too a, much. But like, there's it's funny because I was actually watching Tim and Sid last week. I know it was primetime sports with Bob McCowan, and and he's never heard of this before. And it was actually Damian Cox who brought it up. He said that basically there was an event going at the Air Canada Center, and it sold out. And all it was was just a bunch of people going in to sit and watch this professional tournament between computer gamers or console gamers or whatever it was. And Bob McCowan couldn't believe it. He said, people pay for that? And Damien just said, it's sold out. It's a hot thing. And there's there's actually big companies going in and buying teams and owning teams because there's so much money in it now. It's crazy. So, I don't know. You, you might be right. Maybe that's just something that to the younger crowd is more appealing than just watching sports. I don't know. But... When I seen that poll that just showed the average age of sports viewers just skyrocketing, like that's almost fifty years old for an average. That's 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 high. I would have never thought it was that. Yeah, high. I would have never predicted it would be that high. I'm, I'm shocked by those numbers. I don't I don't disbelieve them, but I, I'm surprised. The last topic I want to talk about because this is getting a little bit. I want to wrap this up soon, but I want to know if you guys think that in terms of Canadians, like we're not going to the Olympics this year, uh, but just in general, like in terms of hockey players from Canada, do you think we're living in the glory days of Canada right now? And what made me think of that is, uh, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, Justin Williams actually got U.S. US citizenship, so he's a U.S. citizen now. And a lot of the star players that are from Canada are in U.S. markets. So they're they're growing up in U.S. markets. They're getting married in U.S. markets. Their kids are being born as American citizens, and their future kids will play for USA Hockey. And that, that goes for more than just Canada. That goes for Sweden and Finland and, and all those other players who are in the NHL. You know, just that's where their lives are now. And I'm just wondering, do you think in the future, maybe, you know, 20, 25 years in the future, do you think the United States is going to be the new powerhouse of of hockey? I think that... Brent here, I think that the United States will never proportionally be uh, as representative in the in the elite levels of hockey as Canada. I think that the United States will continue to grow as a producer of great hockey talent. And a lot of that 
producing will come from original Canadians who went down there and who brought up families in the hockey culture themselves. But I think the NHL, Canada will, and I hate the term, but I, it makes sense to, to use it here. I think Canada will always be punching above its demographic weight when it comes to placing players at elite levels of hockey, probably around the world. Uh, that said, I think the glory days of Canada, if you want to call it by uh, market penetration in the, in the NHL, were probably in the 1950s, you know, when almost all the players were from Canada back then. We didn't have, you know, when the Cold War was going on, we didn't have Russians, we didn't have Czechs, we didn't have Yugoslavians or, or Hungarians or East Germans, you know, they just weren't allowed to, to get across the, get across the fence. Um, so I think, you know, in, in, at the end of the Cold War in the late 1980s, early 1990s, and even before that with the Stasny brothers when they, you know, broke the mold, I guess, a little bit in the uh, very late 70s, early 80s, I think up till then Canada was the powerhouse. And I think for ever since then, Canada's been in decline as a representative of the overall hockey. But uh, that said, Canada will always continue to produce more hockey players than its population would otherwise suggest yeah i agree okay well i think we'll uh we'll wrap this one up now guys uh thank you for doing this i know it was a little bit different you know doing a podcast through different provinces so hopefully this turns out uh i, I appreciate you guys taking the time that's for sure no problem we'll have to do this in the future I mean, oh it was fun if i'm on the road over here in pei which i think i will be the majority of the summer here uh we'll have to, we'll have to make this a regular thing and this is the test so hopefully the test works all right, so if you're listening to this right now, that means you are listening to the podcast version only. What I'm saying right now will not appear in the YouTube video. So I'm going to talk about the contest, and what we've decided to do is we don't have a specific thing we're going to give away. I've been trying to think of something to to give as a, an award or reward, and, and I haven't been able to think of anything that you know anyone would want. Like There's, there's a lot of team-specific stuff out there, and if you're not a fan of that team, then it it, it may not hold as much value for you as it could someone else. So what we're going to do is we're going to give away a little gift box. And basically what we want you to do is when you send your submission in, you're going to include what your favorite team is. So whoever wins this contest will get, you know, one or a few things that are specific to their team along with another, you know, a couple of goodies from, from all of us on the channel and the, uh, the podcast. So what we want you to do is we want you to send an email and only send one email. Don't don't use we're, you know we're, we're this is the honor system. Don't go and use a whole bunch of different email accounts. Just use one email. You know you have a fairly decent chance of winning because not everyone that listens to this will apply. So so what we need is we need you to put the uh, the title podcast giveaway in the subject line for the email, and then in the actual email include where you're from and what your favorite team is. And that way, if you are picked to win, we can you know try to find some things from that specific team to include in the giveaway box. Unfortunately, this giveaway is only going to be available in North America. So if you are not from North America, we do apologize. This one is not going to be open to you guys just because of logistics for certain things. So we'll, we'll try to have one in the future that's open to everybody. But, but this one is going to be specific to North America. And we're going to run this podcast for about two weeks. So if you're hearing this before July 1st, 2017, you can enter. Just send that email to postthepostshow at gmail.com. Uh, if it's after that time, don't bother. There's already been a winner selected, and it's and it's it's done. So, I think I kind of mentioned everything. Neil, is there anything you can think of? No, that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, you nailed it. Okay, so yeah, your chances of winning are are pretty good. Just send that email. We're we're looking forward to receiving that, and uh, 
we will announce both on the YouTube channel and on the podcast the winner. So the people on YouTube may may not even know there's a contest running. They're just going to all of a sudden see that, hey, someone won. And that's good for you as the listener because your chances are higher right now. So uh, I think we'll wrap this one up. Uh, thanks, guys, again. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Yeah, thanks, Jason. See, see you later. Take care.